right, well, good morning, everyone. So good to be here together with you in person, as well as with those of you who are watching and worshiping with us online. It's just so good to worship together, amen? My name is Helen Kim Nowak. I'm pastor of Community Life here at New Life. And in the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Becoming Wise as we take a look at the book of Proverbs. And in this book, we've been hearing about how we first need to search for wisdom because wisdom is not just something pithy, some great philosophy, but it is the pathway towards life and away from death that God has given us. And we've also been learning that wisdom is something that we can apply to our words in that we can choose words that give life or turn away from words that give death and harm. And today we're going to look at how our wisdom intersects with our everyday work, whether that's paid work or unpaid work, how it intersects with that. But before we dive into our text for today, I just want to share a couple of notes that Proverbs is not a how-to book, but it's a how-to-be book that helps us become the embodied heart and character of God, how to live out his heart, his character, and be his presence, true wisdom for a broken world. And so it's not meant to be just, you know, picking and choosing, hearing this or that, and it's not meant to be a quick fix, but it's a way of becoming. Proverbs points us towards how to become. And the other thing is that if you read Proverbs, and some of you I know are in the Bible reading plan that we have going on, you'll constantly see the word righteous. And when we hear the word righteous in our everyday conversation, if you do, it has a negative connotation today. It sounds more like self-righteous. To be righteous is to be more like self-righteous, but righteous is actually a good biblical word that means people in love with God who are devout doers doing as God does. It's people who hear and who do. And Christianity, as Christians, we are not called to just sit back and listen and go, hmm, I agree with that. Well, that was a good point. That was very catchy. Nah, I don't really like that stuff. But we're supposed to hear God's word in its entirety and then not just sit back and take little pieces to post on social media, but live it out with our lives. And so our social media is meant to be our lifestyle. That's our living platform of where we share this truth. And so today we're going to start by looking at Proverbs 15, 33 to 16, verses 1 through 3. And then we'll look at a number of other verses that Proverbs shares with us about work. But here's where we'll begin. It says, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and all of us represent different kinds of work, everyday work, housework, paid work. And Lord, we just ask for your wisdom. A lot of our work at times can be challenging, hard. Um, Sometimes we may have questions about our work. So Lord, we just ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts and eyes. And Lord, um, move us into the doing and to move into the wisdom of what it means to work wisely. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. When I was 15, um, I had been born here, grown up here, but at 15 was my first trip to Korea. 
and it was a culture shock. I landed in Seoul, and you know, just to give a little background, I had grown up going to Korean language school. It was taught at my church, so I learned, you know, how to read and write, and I could do it at the minimum, um, the very low level. And I also spoke Korean sometimes at home. We spoke a mixture of Korean and English called Konglish. Um, I spoke that pretty fluently, and you know, we. That was my life. So I knew some of Korean culture, but when I landed in Korea and saw all the signage surrounding me, I mean, this is what Seoul looks like. <laughs> There's narrow streets filled with packed signs upon signs, and everything was in Korea. Erase this one about Adia. I don't remember seeing that many English letters back when I went. But everything was in Korean, and it was like me learning to read again for the first time. My brain slowed way down. And it was back to when I first learned to read English. It was like sounding out the letters. This is, you know, and then putting it together, going, oh, H-A-I-R, hair, this is a hair salon. You know, and it was just going from one sign to another. It got really exhausting. And I literally hit just like a dead wall at some point with my brain because it was just too much to have to sound out every single sign when I got on the subway, trying to figure out where I was going, where the exits were, and which exits led to the corner I needed to go, and I had to literally just stand there reading things out. People <laughs> go, gotcha, no, that's not my sign. <laughs> I hope this one's the right one. And so it just got so bogged down, and I just really hit a wall. Fast forward about 20 plus years, and I was the children's pastor at my home church, which was a Korean immigrant church right here in Queens. And I was working largely with volunteers who were mostly Korean-speaking moms. And so I remember distinctly my first time stepping into that, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, into that meeting with these moms and just eager to share, you know, what we're going to teach that day. And I had something fun really prepared. And then I really wanted them to be on board. So I'm explaining all this in English, and I see them, and they're, they're just really wonderful people. So they're just smiling and nodding. But I noticed the vacant expression behind the smiling and nodding, and I realized, oh, nothing is landing. <laughs> and I said, okay, if anything's going to happen today, I'm going to have to use my broken Korean, my wonderful Konglish. And so I whipped that out, and I turned, and I gave instructions in that broken Korean English, and then, then I got another more emphatic nodding, like, oh, that's what she was talking about. And so they caught most of it, even if not all, and I could totally see that they were getting more of my content than, they used, than originally when I was speaking in English. So three years I spent in that children's ministry, and day in and day out, I was in these meetings speaking in Korean, in little coffee conversations and lunches with these teachers at their homes, Friday nights at church, Sundays all day at church, constantly speaking Korean and more Korean and more Korean. On top of that comes the bowing, right? Because in Asian culture, it's really big. And in Korean culture, I was constantly running into those who are older than me, who I didn't know. And so I was like, oh, hello, 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 hello. And initially, it felt so awkward. But three years of bowing will get you a long way. <laughs> I am now an expert at bowing. It comes without any effort. Like, yes, yes, I should go to England. Um, but, you know, three years of constant speaking Korean, constant adjusting to the culture. There's ways of speaking. There's ways of sharing information. There's ways of motivating people. There's ways to just kind, friendly gestures that are so Korean of how you serve food, how you take care of others. 
I became so immersed in that space that at the end of three years, my teacher said my Korean improved vastly, and it was now no longer effort to speak in Korean. I could walk into a meeting with my teachers and chit-chat with them and give them instructions for the day, and it was effortless. I wasn't thinking about it, processing it, going, oh, what does that word mean? But it was just flowing out of me. It helped to watch Korean dramas, but it still got effortless. And, you know, the gesturing and all of that, none of it felt awkward anymore. I was just flowing in the space. And that's what immersion will do to you. Immersion is a space where you're just in, swimming in it day in and day out, and over time you become formed. And our workplace is just that kind of place. We're immersed in our work, whether it's our paid work, our housework, you know, our chores, whether you're parenting, whatever it is that you do for work, right, paid and unpaid, we're immersed in it. And that immersion provides us with countless daily opportunities to be formed in the wisdom that God gives us for work. Think of all the time that you spend at work. It is a constant holy work if we choose to follow the wisdom of God. And so as we're looking at the principles that we're going to learn from Proverbs today, you know, what we've learned so far, searching for wisdom, how we use our words, of course, applies to our work. And the ones that we will learn in the future also applies to our work. Because we constantly speak at work, right? We have to be careful about doing work in a way where our words give life. And in addition to those things that we'll be looking at, I want to start us with a bottom principle, like a foundational principle of work that Proverbs gives us. We begin with our motive for work. Why do you work? When you think of work, what do you think about? And why do you show up? Why do you do the things around the house that you do, do the things for your families that you do, show up at your jobs the way that you do? So in Proverbs, we are given a reason for what it means to walk in the way of wisdom in relation to work. The way of wisdom is to work for the Lord and not for ourselves. The center is not us and what we can get out of it, but the Lord. Those first opening verses, the four verses that we looked at, you know, it said, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. All four of those verses that we looked at, constantly the Lord is within all of them. And he becomes a center point, and he is before whom all our work is under his gaze. And so we begin our work by calibrating our lives so that he's at the center. It's so easy to get off center, right? But calibration is essentially you choose what's your reference point, and you align yourself to that reference point. And with God, we go, what is it that God wants with my work? How would he say this? What does he want me to do here? What will be the right thing in his eyes? And we constantly calibrate back. And so our motive for work is really number one place to start when it comes to our work. Why do you work? Theologian Bruce Waltke says, wisdom is a matter of the heart, and God always begins with our heart. You know, and it's the same with our work. It's not just the activity stuff, but behind all that is what is your heart posture? What is happening in your heart? It is a world in which we say, this is how God wants things done. This is how God wants things said. These are the kind of decisions he wants to make. And we orient ourselves into that. We say, I'm not going to do my own thing out here. But, oh, okay, God is here and this is what he wants to do. And we align and integrate into this world that he says is the right way to be. 
And so in a world that where we know there's such an emphasis on the bottom line, profit, um, there is such an emphasis on what success looks like. There's a certain picture, isn't there? And often it costs a lot of money. And there's an emphasis on amassing lots of wealth, but we're not to work for ourselves to gain riches for ourselves, but we're to work for the Lord. Proverbs 23.5 says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches. They're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You know, Luther and Augustine said of sin that it's curved inward. It's an inward gaze, constantly looking at me, my, mine, right? But the movement of God is outwards. This wisdom of God is always outwards and upwards towards him. Outwards towards others, upwards towards him. And we see that in Proverbs 29, 7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. There is a concern about what is happening to the poor rather than, hey, how can I up, you know, build up my own re- resume and my own bank account? But what is happening out there? Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. All these actions, the way of wisdom is hearing and doing. It is hearing this and also looking and doing actions that are other-centered, that are pleasing to God. And so doing right by others because God is at the center of our work is where we begin. And an awesome example I found of a Christian company that does this is Dayspring Partners. They're a digital consultancy that provides brand design, software development, And on their website, it says, at Dayspring, we believe that how we work is just as important as the work itself. And imagine if we apply that to everything we do, like that's our work, how we serve a cup of coffee to a coworker, how we answer this email, how we prepare for a meeting, how we make a decision. They could easily just go along with the mainstream practice of selling client data. They get tons of data with the work that they do. But Dayspring has made a principle to not, never sell across companies that data. They purely use whatever data they collect to make their consumer's product better for themselves, but they don't sell that data, which is pretty customary practice. But they think of what is right for others. What is the best way? What is the common good? And so what a beautiful reflection of experiencing God in a real way. If I was their client, I would be just so amazed. Like, oh, you could make a lot of money selling my information and everyone else's information, but you're choosing not to because God's heart is not in it. In it. After that foundation principle of working and calibrating ourselves to the Lord, there are a few principles that Proverbs we can see over and over and over again about how we work. How are we to work? Um, how are you to show up at your job? How are you to show up in your home, in your family, in the volunteer that, that you do in the community? The way of wisdom it begins, is to be honest, you know, to work in a trustworthy manner, and that is with honesty. So you know that we're the people of God when we show up and we're trustworthy workers. And the first thing we look at is our honesty. Think of all the words that fill up your day. There's so many times we are constantly speaking, whether it's written or, you know, verbally spoken, and we make decisions, we're using resources, we're making promises, we're constantly using our words, and God 
calls us to be honest with our words. Proverbs 12:22 says, "The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy." And so examples would be, you know, as you consider, I want to ask you, how are you how are your words? Are your words honest in the things you promise? In what you say that you can do? In what you have done and describing what you have done? Owning up to your mistakes. Is it are your words honest. And as we look at these principles that God gives us, you know, what's awesome is that our God reflects all of these. He's the one that moves towards us. He is not for, out for his own self-gain. That would be the opposite of the cross, right? And his words, his promises throughout scripture, they're honest. The words he sa- says, he keeps Another part of honesty and being trustworthy is to be honest in our actions, not just our words. It's easy to say things, but it's so hard to live it up, amen? And in all of this, we're wrestling faithfully. We're not expected to be perfect, but wrestling faithfully to endeavor to become more and more in this way. So in Proverbs 16, 11, it says, honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. And the olden times, there were like two weights that people would carry sometimes if they were trying to be deceptive. A merchant would carry a heavier weight. So when he was trying to sell something to someone, he would use a heavier scale because then it would come, you know, like, oh, you owe me this much, you know. But when he was buying something, he would use a lighter scale go, oh, yeah, I don't really want to pay that price, but here you go. You know, so that he could get a differing price. And there were differing weights in the bag. But God says we're not to have different approaches. The fees we charge, the services we offer are to be the same. And then the way that we deliver on the promises we make, whether it's to our kids, our families, our jobs, our clients, are to be honest and the same to deliver on what we say we're going to do. Are your actions honest? This is not wisdom by the world's standards, right? The world is say, who's going to notice? It's just a white lie. It's, it's okay. Everyone does this. But it is wisdom to God. And our decision as a Christian is always to say, is what God says is true, or am I going to go with my own instinct? And the way of wisdom is to choose God's wisdom again and again to find life. The last aspect of the way of wisdom, in addition to being honest in our words and our actions and putting God at the center, is to be diligent and to work hard. Proverbs 13.4 says, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs 12.11, Those who work their land will have abundant food but those who chase fantasies have no sense. And there's a praise for hard work, but this is not the same thing as overwork. In our culture, there's such a workaholism that is praised, like, oh, you're working crazy hours. Wow, that's amazing, you're impressive. Right? But that is not what it is. And we know that because Proverbs 13:4 says, the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. When you work hard and you enjoy what you have, that is the way of wisdom. Not working and working and working and putting your nose to the grind and never getting to see what you can enjoy that you have worked for. And also, we know it's not about overwork because we're supposed to work for the Lord, not for our self-gain. 
But in this hard work, throughout all the Proverbs, what's really neat is that God promises us that when we put in hard work, there's something we get to enjoy. The other day, our community life coordinator gave me a bread recipe, and I made this little simple loaf. It was so easy, um, but I, am, I just loved how it turned out, and I am a carbs fan. You know, carbs all the way. Uh, <laughs> man, when my husband was almost gluten-free, I almost was like, whoa, this is going to be a tough road. Um, but he didn't have to be. But I made this bread, and during lunchtime, I kind of put it all together to let it sit and rise. And then dinner was ready, had risen, and I just put it in the oven, baked it, and got to eat and enjoy it. And as I looked at, like, this round ball of joy, like, I was just amazed. Like, this is the beauty of work. Like, you put an effort in, and you taste and see, you know? And I just thought about, like, that's what we get to enjoy in all of our work. When we put in the labor and the hard, you know, work of it, we get to enjoy the fruit of things. And that's why laziness is spoken against again and again in the Proverbs. Proverbs 18.9 says, One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. That is some strong words. Laziness, not doing anything, is equal to destruction. But when we sit with that thought, there's something there, isn't it? You know, have you ever sat with somebody who wasn't working, who just refused to put in energy or be a good team member and you were doing all the work or something like that? It's just negative energy. It's draining to be around. It increases the stress for those who are around that person. And so the way of wisdom is not that, but is to contribute to the good of others. It's constantly working and giving life, giving off. So as we close, I just want to ask you a question. In which of these do you sense God's invitation to you today to wrestle with this faithfully, to immerse yourself in doing this, not just once, but countless time after time as opportunity comes? Which one of these do you sense God's invitation to wrestle with faithfully, whether it's in your paid work or your unpaid work? Is it working as unto the Lord, not for yourself gain, working for, to help others, being honest with your words, Is it being honest with your actions or working hard with diligence? As God's people, the way of wisdom is to hear and to do. So which of these do you sense yourself calling to do? And the wonder of it is just imagine. Imagine every person or even every Christian in the world live this way, where their goal was, how can I please the Lord? And they were honest with every word they told you every promise they made, uh, where they had integrity in their actions, and they worked hard. And when they showed up, they showed up. When they're on the clock, they were on the clock. Now, how, what an amazing world would that be in every sector? Your grocer, the lawyer, the policeman, the banker, every parent, every home. Like, Just think of all the scenarios of what that could look like. I think it would make Proverbs 11.10, a favorite verse of mine, come true. And Proverbs 11.10 says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. That word, the city rejoices when the righteous prosper. Of course. Dr. Amy Sherman has a wonderful way of putting this. She's a senior fellow at the Sagamore Institute for Policy Research, and she directs the Center on Faith and Communities. And if you're ever looking for content about faith and work, she's a wonderful author to read. But she says this about the righteous. The righteous are the sadikim, that's the Hebrew word in Proverbs, 
people in love with God who are devout doers of justice. When the Sarikim prosper, they don't see their blessings as a means of self-enrichment. No, they know that every dimension of their prosperity, their assets, gifts, knowledge, and networks is meant to be stewarded for the common good. The Sarikim deploy their assets and vocational power strategically to advance kingdom values, telling and demonstrating the good news. Through their efforts, genuine progress is made in the fights against poverty, lack of opportunities, alienation, and hopelessness. In all of this, God calls us beyond us to live for more than just you or me. He calls us outwards and upwards, outwards towards his people to see what is out there, to use our work so that people can know the heart of God and ultimately so that we can know the heart of God as we do this. And so, you know, when you think about living this way, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And just think what can emerge as we choose this way of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, you call us to center our lives in you and then to move outwards with our work. Lord, our work is not for ourselves. Our workplace that we go to every day that helps provide for our needs is not just for us. And so, God, we just pray today, Holy Spirit, that you show us what it is, where you are inviting us to apply this wisdom that we've learned into our work. Lord, help us to be a people that give life, that embody your heart and character so that others may also know your heart and character. We pray for wisdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to invite you to stand. By the blood I was made, no longer. 
is calling us higher and higher. And he invites us to live not for ourselves, but to move outwards and upwards towards him. And so if you're watching online, we have a couple of ways that we invite you to get engaged right now. You may be looking for prayer. And that's one of the privileges of our church. To be a church means that we get to pray together. So if you're looking to be, have something you wanna pray for or just to receive prayer in any way, there's a link below on any of the streaming platforms that we have, and you can click that to receive prayer. There's also a sermon discussion group, and Pastor Sharon will be leading that discussion today, so we invite you to partake of that as well. And I just want to invite you now, whether it's online or here in this room, that if maybe you have not said yes to Jesus, and today you want this wisdom, this way that will help you walk towards life and to bring life to others, and you want to know this God who has this kind of heart and character, this kind of integrity, that's you, I invite you to simply reach out to any of our staff and we can walk with you in how to make that decision and to also just text yes to Jesus to 718-424-0122 and one of our staff will be happy to respond to you. Um, as a church, I invite you now to open your hands before the Lord. We open our hands to receive blessing because in this world that's so full of cursing, we want to first receive from God so that we can give to others. So brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And as you walk out of this room and this online gathering, may you know this God who moves constantly towards us and towards you who has integrity in his words and actions and is persistent in pursuing you. And may you do the same with your work for his glory. We pray all of this in the powerful, beautiful, and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.